Girlies, welcome to Crisis Twink, the podcast where we ring the alarm about cultural emergencies. Whether it's a flop album, an insane headline, a problematic fave, or just something that needs to be urgently discussed or you'll die, we're going to revive it and make sure it gets the medical assistance it so desperately needs. My name is Drew Haskins, and I'm the only twink who can save a culture in crisis. Joining me today is a music writer legend uh, has contributed to all of your favorite publications <laughs> and currently has a wonderful substack called Last Donut of the Night. It's Larry Fitzmorris. Hi. How's it, how's it going? It's going very well. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty good, although it's very hot in Brooklyn uh, right now. So yes. That's, Same that's obviously here. not great, but in Chicago. I don't want to embarrass you any further, but I kind of want to talk about your, um, the last one of the night that you published yesterday, um, with Panda Bear and the producer Sonic Boom. I thought, well, you're, you're an excellent interviewer in general, but I really loved yesterday's newsletter in general, just because I thought it was really interesting to like hear from that era of indie artists who were so reliant on, well, maybe reliance not the right word, but like who, like internet, the internet and the blogosphere played such a crucial role in how they got famous, really, and how yeah. they're interacting with the internet these days. Yeah, it's really weird. I feel like, I mean, I've interviewed a lot over the years, uh, Noah Lennox, Panda Bear, um, and Something I gather about him as a person, I, I really, I really like him as a person. Although I thought, like, uh, some of the things we were talking about regarding like cancel culture and stuff like that, I was like, Ugh, a little surprised about. But um, you know, something that I think is very clear about him is that, like, I think he would be doing the kind of music he was making, even if it was like just him listening yeah. to it. So it's like, like. I think I think Animal Collective and Panda Bear obviously like they're two artists that came up during the the era in which like the internet was very influential and like putting artists on to a certain level that like it really doesn't have anymore quite frankly <laughs> but yeah. or at least like traditional music music publications do um, but like I almost see them and him as kind of just like incidental successes where it's mm-hmm. like they're they're music found people and like people obviously love it it's it's great um but like if it didn't find anybody they would probably just be like doing some like maybe like less expensive version of it <laughs> on their own regardless yeah i so you've talked at length about how like that eras of the blogosphere was sort of this like almost king making entity for a certain kind of indie musician like and it really feels like well, the blogosphere period doesn't really exist in the same way that it did right? Like 10 yeah. years ago. Like, how do you see music, like now that music media has both like decentralized from this like indie centric lens, but also like, I mean, it's a lot more like poptimistic to use like that term. Um, like, how do you see like the music media machine building people up these days? I mean, it's kind of hard to tell. I feel like I feel like a lot of the time now when I hear about buzz bands, I'm like, kind of like buzzy acts. I'm like, 
it, it, it almost feels like one day they don't exist and then like the next day it's like I see five or six publications posting about this act yeah. that I've ever heard before and like you know I think in the past it used to be a, a kind of a more gradual thing I think Pitchfork led a lot of those conversations especially in mm-hmm. like the maybe like the mid maybe like the mid 2000s to like the like mid late 2010s like that's like the big span I think in which they were able to do that um but yeah it doesn't feel it doesn't feel particularly organic on like the scale that like people notice it at like you have really you have really huge artists that everybody covers and then like at the few publications that you have left I think like you have like some like niche things that the publication likes like you know I think Pitchfork's a very interesting job covering a lot of like left field jazz music over the mm-hmm. last several years um and expose like listeners who or readers who like might be coming there for like i don't know the latest taylor swift review like they'll see like some very like obscure record getting reviewed too maybe it'll lead them to listen to that yeah. uh, i think that's great but like as far as like the mid-tier acts are concerned i feel like feel like it, I feel like it feels a lot less organic. It feels like people like a bunch of people at different publications somehow read the same press release and then like suddenly we talk about them these people for a week, maybe two, and then and then we don't until the next record comes out. I 100% agree with you on that. Like it, it really feels like the gap between like indie 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 like one publication is writing about this versus like the mega superstars like that like weird middle class of artists it all feels very like artificially buzzy in a way that like well I don't want to say like 10 years ago blog culture was not doing that because I've always felt that like sure and sorry I'm like this is just my subjective taste but like a band like Parquet Courts or something was a lot more like the hype machine just got like rolling so crazily so quickly with a band like that. that I was like, yeah, this is definitely someone's PR person. But these days, like, I don't know. I feel like I heard of Wet Leg one day and the next day they were like everywhere, just to like right. use an example. It's yeah, no, that's, a very, that that's a very good example. And like, I think too, there's like, I don't know, like, I think it's also important to remember, I guess like it's important for me to remember, but like, I like a lot of these. Oh yeah. I think it's, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, like there's like, I think I, I said this online about the Wet Leg album, like sometimes there's a reason why everybody's talking about the same record and it's because it's good. Like I happen to like that record a lot, but um, you know, like I think when we don't like something, I, when I say we, I mean like everybody on the internet that like talks about music, um mm-hmm. I think that like when we don't like something sometimes we'll be like well you know like everybody else likes this for like this like weird reason that I've like ascribed to it when in reality it's like oh I'm just not into it like it's just not yeah. my vibe like <laughs> and <laughs> just the, usually the truth of things well that is like the thing about social media it creates like such an us against the world mentality when you're in the minority sure. and some sort of dissenting opinion and like that and the confluence of stan culture it just creates like it's weird to think that like a band has a like wet leg has like shooters on the internet now <laughs> but like they kind exactly, of do. Yeah. yeah it's cr- it's crazy all right i think no, we have I, to i feel like it, yeah. oh no no go on no i was gonna say i feel like if you talk about music on the internet like at this point like there's like a generally accepted opinion like you might be a little unstable and like 
we'll probably say some things we come to regret. Like, I yeah. think that's like just, <laughs> just the vibe of the music conversation online these days. So, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I think it's time for our first segment. Um, so, we are going to play Ring the Alarm. I'm going to present you with three cultural scenarios from recent and or ancient history. And you're going to decide whether or not the alarm needs to be rung. No wrong answers here, but your choice is binary. Does the alarm need to be rung or not? You're Wait, can I, can I ask a question? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, so what are the, what's the criteria for ringing the alarm? Like if, if you feel like it. something needs like an emergency intervention or like something, something needs to ha- like be stopped. Something or... needs to be discussed about yeah. this. Okay, cool. Cool. Okay, first scenario, something crazily we did not talk about on the last episode, but I feel like you would be good to talk about this with. Uh, Will Smith releases post-slap apology video. Chris Rock does not accept apology and calls him Suge Smith. I mean, I, I mean, I, I would, I would love to ring the alarm yeah. on the Chris Rock apology video, which, like, I, I watched obviously on, yeah. on my TV. It, uh, I was shocked he did that. I'll be honest. Yeah, it's well. So I read a, I read like, uh, like a gossip bit saying that like Jada was like insisting that he that he do it. But, like, yeah. he still didn't want to do it, which is like, it's so fascinating, man. Uh, I think about the slap all the time. It's like, it's, it's honestly like ever since it happened, uh, it has become like a dominant, like cultural thing in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you find yourself thinking about the slap very often? Yeah. I, I mean, I remember exactly where I was when it happened. Like I was in the middle of COVID and I thought I was having a fever dream watching it. Honestly, I was like, <laughs> I cannot believe that one of arguably the two biggest male celebrities on earth just slap someone on another very yeah. famous person on live television like it it's like some old hollywood gossip shit almost i feel like when it i feel like it's like this is this is gonna sound so dumb but like i feel like i had a premonition that it was going to happen because mm-hmm. or like not a premonition that's going to happen but it was like when when Chris Rock came out and addressed, addressed Jada, like when he said her name, I thought to myself, oh, I don't think this is going to go well. Because yeah. like I knew, because like I had seen the stuff about her talking about her alopecia. And I was like, I feel like he's like going to go for an alopecia joke and this is going to go south. But like I did not like not anticipate Will Smith slapping him in the face on stage at the fucking Oscars. No. Like that's nuts, man. That was wild. And I mean, if if people have been keeping up with sort of the press cycle around his new book, like in all the interviews he did for King Richard, like Will Smith seems like he's been in not a super great place for a long time. Like he's being very vulnerable and it, the public was not responding super well. So I think it was just a powder keg ready to explode a little bit. But yeah, it's fast. It's fascinating. It's yeah. like. I mean, I think the the book the the I really want to read his memoir, uh, yeah. and I think I'm going to read it next after I finish the book I'm currently reading. But um, that press cycle around that memoir, all the anecdotes for it were just like insane. Like he yeah. was talking about how he became allergic to having an orgasm because he had a sex addiction. Yeah. And like, it's like, th- and everyone was like, is this how you win the Oscar? And like, it, it turns out it was like, he, yeah. he, he, it was like the perfect promo cycle for that. But 
yeah, he's, I mean, he's fascinating. There's something, there's something interesting going on there. That whole thing was like, I feel like the slap to me was like, even like after it happened, like that week was like maybe the worst week of all time on the internet. Oh, the discourse was terrible. I think all the time about Judd Apatow saying, what if Will had killed Chris Rock? I'm like, are you out of your minds? Like the lack of perspective from that was just shocking. That has, I have to confess, that tweet from Judd Apatow was like, for me, like an instant DQ as far as like everything he's ever done. I was like, oh my God, I have to re, like if you're capable of saying something this dumb, I have to reevaluate your entire Yeah, This is really bad. It's really wild. What really surprises me about this whole situation is Will Smith taking to like video as a format, but then I remember that the rest of the family essentially are YouTubers these days. Sure. Yeah. Like Red Table Talk's huge. It's huge and it's a great show, but like yeah. I wonder whether his memoir and the press cycle around it was sort of spill over from Jada and Willow and the grandmother whose name I never remember. Um like not oversharing, but like being so personal and so revealing about their public lives that he felt like he had to catch up a little bit. Yeah, it's like, that is like, I, I feel like with all the Red Table Talk stuff, like they like they have become the most like fascinating family yeah. in like American celebrity now, which is like, and like they, they like, I don't know. I think, I think like with that branding, like they kind of represent a certain era of like American celebrity the same way that the Kardashians like represented like the early 2010s, like early mid 2010s. When, yeah. Like, when, back when like people were like trying to do like a positive cultural Kardashians, like that's that's kind of like a pretty slap certainly like where things were going for the Pinkett Smith family. Yeah. Um, you know what's a weird thing about that uh, that apology video that he did is that Jaden Smith's boxed water is right next to him the entire time. Yeah, all is a branding opportunity. I mean, you gotta get it in where you can. <sighs> I mean, like, I, so like they had to like list, they had to like list that YouTube as an ad. They, like they probably yeah. monetized it. I know, like, I'm sure, I'm sure. I mean, did. like, that's incredible. Yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta admire the, the, the gusto it's it's pretty it's pretty pretty brazen like i i I have like a weird weird level of respect like weirdly for like how will smith has like handled all this because i'm just like yeah you're like you're like removing yourself from public life and like refusing to like do any interviews forever like it's crazy i think chris rock is milking it too much like not accepting the apology calling him shug smith on stage like I, i chris rock is annoying i like and if you read blind items and gossip sites, like by all accounts, Chris Rock is not the nicest person and he has a history of being mean yeah. to Jada on stage. Like, I, I don't know. I just think he needs to get over it too. Cause like no one really wants to like, people want to go back to enjoying both of those people and both of those people are making it very hard on themselves. Yeah, look, I mean, like I, I, I get into this conversation with my friend all the time. Violence, violence is obviously never the answer. No. That being said, let's move. Let, let's let, let's move on. Like 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 I like, but like the thing is, like I don't know. Like it also coincides with this weird thing that we've had in the last couple of years, where like suddenly celebrities have become like I mean, I'm sorry, not celebrities. Us uh, comedians have become like the most important people on earth. Like like I feel like people more pay more attention to like what like Dave Chappelle says now than like Joe Biden. Like that's yeah. like insane. That, like, it is insane. That point. And like. 
like this Chris Rock thing, like there were a lot of like reactions from comedians after the slap where it was like, oh yeah, we're all we're all at risk. And I'm like, hey, like you guys aren't first responders. Like what what is this? You tell jokes on stage. Like yeah. how did we like how, it was one of those moments where I just kind of like I'm like, how did we get here? <laughs> like it's very baffling. Yeah, I I I really just like cannot fathom Chris Rock feeling so self-important to like m- almost m- martyr martyrize is that even a word like martyrize yeah. himself in this way like he's not he's lost his relatability years and years and years ago so like I, I don't know it, it the way he's carrying himself about this I find very crazy but okay did we need to move on see- oh go on oh no I was just gonna say did you see the latest song movie that he was in no, I did not. It's pretty good. It's worth okay. watching. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> All right. Next topic uh, about arguably the other most famous male celebrity on earth. Uh, Brad Pitt wears a skirt. Mm. Uh, I'm going to choose not to ring the alarm. Yeah. People were really losing their shit over this. And I looked, I, I like, I saw the headlines before I saw the outfit. And I was like, we're, we're getting like going up in arms, like, or like falling all over ourselves to praise this. Like he looked like Janine Garofalo (laughs) in the nineties. Like it was not like a fashion forward look. And no offense. It's a very like, um, it's, it's a very specific like angle. I think that like got like kind of like celebrity digital stuff celebrity publications like can hit to like varying success which is like now it's like yeah like male actor or musician wears skirt and like and like I feel like it's like you know when when I see something like that my brain is almost like oh it's like just another image for the eventual slideshow like it's like yeah you know like that's like that I feel like that's like the level of cultural significance (laughs) that it has I I agree like you know, there's been this huge trend recently of like male celebrities dabbling in women's wear or like gender non-conforming fashion. And I feel like Brad Pitt is sort of the ne plus ultra of this recent trend we've seen of like these hyper broy people championing championing like gender non-conforming clothes and stuff. Like I I hesitate. Yeah. I don't know if I want to call people out by name, but like there is a substantial portion of like, let's say like the how long gone listenership that mm. is like falling over themselves about like Tom Brown right now. Sure. And I'm like, I remember two years ago when you guys were still wearing like J. Crew and like ALD and all these like hyper preppy things. Like, how do we get here, you know? I mean, like, I think also, like, Brad Pitt has, like, marketed himself over the last, like, I want to say it was right around the time Blonde came out, because mm-hmm. he did that, he did that interview where he was, like, Blonde was, like, the most beautiful record to me, yeah. um, and it was right around that time that he, like, really started working on this rebrand as, like, this, like, sensitive, like, like, kind of, like, anguished, but, like, constantly rebuilding himself, like, you know, old soul, and, like, it was very, like, I, I think everybody kind of got fooled at the time, like, over the last couple of years, 
as these uh, as all the court stuff with Angelina Jolie drags on. Yeah, kind of like what's going on with all that? What's happening here? And like, I think it's kind of hard. I think like this, like when I see when I see like the when I see him wearing a skirt on the red carpet, I'm like kind of like. Yeah, like, I don't know. I think he's really trying to avoid talking about what's going on in his actual life. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget. Like, he did that blonde soundbite, like, a month after the divorce, like, the papers were filed. And at the time, the papers cited that he was, like, physically, allegedly, like, physically abusive to, like, his son on a private plane. Like, we knew that in 2016. And this, like, sensitive soft boy pivot since then is very interesting. But did you see that sound or uh, that video clip of him from, like, a premiere this week where someone asked him about his daughter choosing to go to Spelman for college, Zahara, and he's yeah. like, yeah, I think it's really beautiful. And he just said that like five times. Like that guy does not see his kids and they do not want to see him. It's very dark and it's really, there. It's really funny that that soundbite was like spun as like heartwarming. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, like people just really want to like Brad Pitt. And I do think there is something like he is a very charming person, but there is a sure. well of darkness there that runs very deep and no skirt is going to cover that up right now. Yeah, he's like, he's done plenty of good work as an actor. But like, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's some shit going on there that we're all going to have to talk about. At some yeah, point. he's going to go to the red table at some point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, last topic. Carly Rae Jepsen announces new 90s alt-rock inspired album. Um, yeah, maybe the alarm should be rung on this. Yeah um yeah i mean this is interesting because it's like i feel like it's definitely part of like a lot larger trend of like like olivia rodrigo covering veruca salt and Mm -hmm. like like that record too like i'm gonna confess something i i'm not like super into carly majest okay talk about it like what about her has left you cold i think for me it's less that it's less that she leaves me cold uh, and more that, um, like I see that there's a very passionate fandom around her. Like yeah. like some, like something that's like very markedly like more noticeable. Like I feel like Carly Rae Jepsen fans are more passionate than like Dua Lipa fans. Oh, that's like, 100% true. Um, yeah. Because Carly Rae Jepsen fans, I'm not like a stan, but I do like her work. Like because sure. she is in, she's more underground so I feel like people have more of a license to be aggrieved when she doesn't like get the flowers that she's like oh right in quotes right 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 which I think I think is like because like I like the music I think yeah. like I don't I don't love I don't love the music weirdly like I've like kind of like almost I've kind of been almost with every one of her albums but like there's always like four or five songs I pick out that are, yeah really. yeah jams. um but given that that's been my like general like, personal read on it i've always kind of been very surprised at how passionate the fan base is but you're right there is that kind of under this is kind of like underdog like maybe well like the first instances of like an, an indie-ish person having like 
stand them, but she's not indie. That's the thing. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's to remember here. Too. No, she's so, literally right. part of the Scooter Braun machine. Like she's about as far away from the indie sphere as you can get. But she just, I think yeah. she really hit into this like the tail end of the blog era and the Tumblr era at the same time. Like she was able to get like critical cognoscenti to really like her and get this like very like niche, like I mean, just like a bunch of gay guys. Like that's what she had. And speaking as a gay guy who likes Carly Rae, like I direct hit, but emotion especially came out at the exact right time for that kind of album to get really, really celebrated. And I don't know. I but everyone's doing 90s alt rock right now. Like I don't need this. Yeah, it is that is what's happening. And I feel like uh I feel like it would be a good opportunity to kind of like do something through another type of sound. Because like I just feel yeah. like 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 um we're going to get enough like Olivia Rodrigo knockout knockoff stuff flooding the zone in like 18 months. Like like yeah. I think right I think right now the dominant like the dominant like like pop under under underclass trend is like Machine Gun Kelly ripoff stuff. Just like yeah. like if you can't get Travis Barker, you get like the drummer from Good Charlotte to write a song for you, and like you know like you make it you make an EP out of that. That's like what's going on right now. But like I do feel like the next like the next like this is like everyone's doing this trend is gonna be like kind of like Olivia Rodrigo yeah. stuff. So it's I mean, like I wish Carly was doing something different. <laughs> I, I feel like she's going to go almost a little Lilith Fair, like Sarah McLaughlin with it, which could be, cool. be yeah. interesting. Like you kind of forget listening to a lot of that 90s Sarah McLaughlin stuff that it's kind of like trip hoppy almost. And that could oh, be sure. a cool song. Like if Carly Rae Jepsen did like sort of an organic, like Massive Attack-esque album, that would be cool. I don't think we're getting that though. I think we're getting like Solar Power Part 2. Uh, I mean, as a, as a, as a solar okay. powered defender, uh, I'd be okay with that, actually. I like solar power just fine. I like, I think it's her third, it's the third out of the three for me, but I think Mood Ring especially is one of the five best songs she's ever written. And I don't know why it got as much like derision as it did. It's definitely inarguably her least of an album. And yeah. like. The first time I heard it, I didn't like it at all. And for some reason, I just kept spending more and more time with it. And then I ended up writing about it for the New York Times last year for their, I guess that was this year for the um, music, for their music issue. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, there was just kind of this like very sad glow to it where like, like when I had seen the initial discourse around it, which is why I waited a long time to listen to it until people stopped talking about it. Like it was, it was like, oh, like she's, she doesn't, give a shit about anything and she's just on vacation and I listen to it and I'm like yeah it's actually like a really sad album from like somebody who like doesn't want to be famous like, no that's kind it, of devastating <laughs> I, I think it's lyrically very good it just that's that sonic palette is very samey to me at a certain yeah, point for sure. and I think it was not helped by coming out right around the same time that like the last Claro album came out, which I also thought was like very boring for the most part. And like yeah. chemtrails over the country club, which is a good one. I love like I I stand Lana, unfortunately. Like I cannot like take off the well, goggles for that. But like chemtrails yeah. is not one of her. I, it's like in the the bottom half of her discography, I think. Like 
it just if if solar power had been released in 2019 when that song or that sound was not all over the place i think it would have been it would have stood out more just i i think chemtrails probably would have too i mean i, I like yeah. i like chemtrails a lot um but like i also like i think it did hit at a time where it was like it really kicked off by norman fucking rockwell where it was like when chemtrails hit it's like this is all we are hearing right now yeah and it's like kind of like kind of suffocating um but i actually i actually blue banisters might be better than Kentrails. oh it, uh, blue banisters is in my top three with ultra violence is my number one and then nfr word. yeah 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 blue banisters is great it's a beautiful album but, i think part of yeah. the problem is just jack antonoff was in very clearly in like a thematic mood slash rut from nfr to i guess like the tail end of last year almost like i actually kind of liked the minions soundtrack that he ep'd recently because it's 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 fun like it sounds like um the saint vincent album from last year which i really enjoyed actually so more of that was welcome for me okay i still have to listen to it i'm definitely gonna check it out it's it's goofy but like it's what it's well curated and well chosen so i and his like and we'll get into this in the next segment a little bit too but he is one of the few people right now who i think is an excellent an excellent curator of collaborators in addition to like a good musical mind i would very much agree with that i think this is a good segue um we're gonna take a quick break but we will be right back and we're back let's move on to this episode's cultural emergency Larry, what are you rushing to the ER today? I uh, I think that the new Beyonce album is the biggest emergency we've got right now. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's been like, it's been six days since it came out, but it feels like it is like definitely like the biggest event of like the year in music. Like, I, I'm not sure how it can be like topped at this point. Like who could do something like kind of like more like who could drop a record that would like be this much more of a sensation at this point but yeah I mean I thought the new Kendrick album which we've talked about twice on this podcast right but I thought that was going to be a similar like talking about for months zeitgeist shifting album and it came and went for I mean a lot of reasons like it's just a very it's a challenging record that a lot of people just don't want to engage with or don't have like the bandwidth, I guess, to engage with. But Renaissance is just, I, I, yeah. yeah. Renaissance. I feel like we'll be talking about the Kendrick record like uh, like six months from now. Yeah. But like, no one wants to talk about it. Right well, now. I mean, but, and yeah. when uh, listicle season comes out in December, <laughs> right. like we're going to be confronted with that all over again. Um, Renaissance, sure. though, is a lot more like of an uncomplicated blast. To yeah, me. I... Yeah, same. I mean, like, and it's cool because I feel like we've gotten a few records like that this year that, like, yeah. um, it's, like, they are almost, like, uniquely uh, straightforward. And, like, it feels it feels like it's own conceit. Like, um, I thought Capra song, the FKA Twigs record, mm-hmm. um, is another really good example of this, which is just, like, really playful, um, like, positive music uh not necessarily positive music but more like music that like it doesn't feel like it, it's weighed down by any narrative and like yeah. I think a lot of I think a lot of people 
have come to expect that from pop music. Like, um, especially from big, big pop stars. Like, I mean, like, you know, I have a question for you. How did you feel about Lemonade? About Lemonade? Yeah. So I got a little flack for this online last week. Lemonade is my second least favorite Beyonce album. If I were putting a letter grade on it, it's still an A minus. Like that's the, like she just has a very astounding body of work. But I thought it was slow in points, a little self-serious, but the vision, and it definitely meant to be consumed as a visual album and not necessarily as a listening experience, but the highs on it are unbelievable. And we just said this, but like her, her ear for like curation, collaboration, sampling, all that, like it's, it's pretty astounding. Like her imagination is very big. Yeah, I I am 100% with you on that Lemonade take. I think that it is, to me, it's like this really incredible cultural artifact, like uh, something that like obviously made a massive impact in terms of like what people talked about, mm-hmm. uh, like liter- literal conversation shifting work of art that like I think also has been like weirdly influential. Like I think like... I don't know, I, I listen to Summer Walker and I'm like, you know, like, I think like, you know, there's some some of the attitude of lemonade in this for sure. Uh, even though Summer Walker also comes from a pretty like traditional R&B perspective as well. Um, as an album though, I just have never really liked Lemonade that much. Yeah. I've, I've, always, I've always felt like it's like, there's some amazing songs but as a whole, it feels kind of too long to me. There's like, there's like patches of it that I just kind of get bored during. And like, again, like it does have that, it's so reliant on this very specific narrative that like you almost have to consume it as a whole piece. Yeah. Whereas like this record to me feels like the exact opposite of that. Like in yeah. a really good way, in a very appealing way to me. Every song off of this, is a hit in the same way I currently I I mean I need to sit with this a lot more but I have this as my second favorite right now after self-titled in both of those that album and this album every single song is a hit like it's and they do stand alone very well but I've almost exclusively listened to it in a block just because and not to beat a dead horse, but the transitions are so good on this album. Like I oh, like yeah. listening to it in sequence. Like that's part of the not quite novelty, but like the excitement of it is just hearing everything flow so so nicely. Yeah, it's a really kick, like um, it's a really like chaotic sounding album um, in terms of like the like the way it switches moods and like and it also feels perfectly like it just flows so nicely like. Yeah, I honestly like. I don't know. It's it's. I feel like we haven't had a pop record like this in like several years. Oh um, yeah. Um, like I think the last one like, was Lemonade, almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, word. I mean, that that that. I think that is what it is. Um, and it also just feel. It also just like sounds so good to me in a way where it's like. Like this is such like a basic observation, but like the quality level 
this feels higher than what we've gotten from pop music. Like, I don't know, like I found myself like a couple months ago texting a friend and I was like, I was like, ah, that, the, the new Camila Cabello album is like five good songs on it. That's yeah. pretty good. And like, it's like, that's like, I feel like that's been the bar for, yeah. for me for like, for let's say from like late 2018 on as far as pop music like I've just been like okay like there's four good songs on this 15 song album I'll be lucky Mm -hmm. um so like I don't know Beyonce I feel like Beyonce didn't have to do much to to like go over that bar and instead it was like oh like this is like maybe easily the best record of the year right now and maybe like maybe the best record you've ever made like yeah we should (laughs) for me like this has been a very um middling year for albums for me like my clear top two right now are this and motomami and motomami is a similar it's it's just a very fun album with a lot of cool experimentation on it that like but just the the levity the brightness it is just such a breath of fresh air in today's musical landscape like i I don't know. I do think that like part of the thing about Beyonce is that she has such a level of just cultural reverence right now. Like she is a, for better or worse, like a sainted figure in American culture. Word. And people just go in like the, like you don't even need to hear the music. Like people just place so much importance on it, which is nice when like it's hard to continue make going, making good music like 25 years into your career like to make something that is not only like justifies that reverence but like exceeds it and gets people excited in a completely new way than ever before like that is very impressive to do i think it's totally fair to talk about beyonce at this point in like the in like the lineage of like pop stars of like like david bowie yeah and uh madonna and there's people who have people who have like contributed like art and culture that will just resonate for like yeah. i don't know like for the rest for the rest of human existence like you know she, she's one of the greats at this point it's it's really crazy how uh how she's kept this going and i'll be really honest like i the, the in-between period between Lemonade and this record, I was kind of like, I think I was put off a little bit by some of, by some of her more corporatized moves. And I was like, what, what is her career going? And is, is she going to become yeah. less interesting? Like, what's going on? Here? How did you feel about uh, kind of that period of time? I mean, from the Carters, the Lion King thing, and just her, or like, assorted, like, soundtrack work, and the um, Ed Sheeran perfect remix <laughs> right <laughs> um i was like oh you've become very self-serious and like you're teetering into legacy artists in a way that like i'm sure you will probably find a way to bounce out on but like i was happy she was making music more than i was actually enjoying the music like the one thing that i was really into was the savage remix um the megan mm. the stallion remix but even that felt like less of a song and more of like a coronation of a new talent like Beyonce was stamping her approval on Megan and that was yeah. like the legitimacy of it but I, I can't I can't listen to the original Savage though 
no you can't like it's yeah. it's done now like her verse on it is great like i think and i'm not the only person to say this but like beyonce at, in 2022 is a better rapper than jay-z is <laughs> like, yeah it's, yeah that's that's real it goes beyonce uh rihanna and then jay-z is the best rappers alive yes i i can get behind that um it's it's also nice that she's doing something pretty radical like not politically necessarily but like it is it is a very conscious choice to uplift black queer people specifically right now and craig jenkins wrote a really good piece in this in vulture like that sums up the actual importance of that way better than i could on this podcast but like it's she really has a lot of love for the community and i was a little worried with break my soul that it was going to be kind of pandering almost sure um because one of the great cultural theorems of this podcast is that once a pop diva starts pandering to her gay fans it's over <laughs> like it's the, yeah. the relevancy it's it's done like um but this it, it is such like a joyous celebration with like such good samples and like her cult, like getting people like honey dijon to work on this like it's it's cool like she's just made a cool record so like what are some of your favorites off of this um the, I mean, the stretch from Church Girl to Heated is like the, like, like just like an incredible, yeah. perfect, perfect uh, series of songs. Uh, I feel like I alternate most between Church Girl and, and Heated. I think those okay. are my, those are my two favorites. Heated to me is really mind blowing because like, it's a Drake co-write and mm-hmm. like, one of my uh, one of my favorite Beyonce songs is mine, mm-hmm. uh, and like I think I like I think they work really well together. Like they like I think she brings out the best in Drake. Yeah, um, he really comes with his A game, which like he has not in like several years. No at this point. So like he wrote this he wrote this he co-wrote the song with her, and like Beyonce sounds like Drake. Like it sounds like a Drake song sung by Beyonce to the point where you're like, maybe I don't need to hear like Drake's music again. Maybe she should just do Drake's music. Like he yeah. should write songs and give them to her and she should make Drake's music. Like that's how that's how much of like an impressive like impressive like uh I don't want to say mimicry, but just like I mean, not even impersonation. It's like something else. It's no, really she, wild. she she sort of subsumes the aesthetics of her collaborator but filters them through her own lens like one of my favorites off the album is all up in your mind and a beyonce pc music collab on paper should not really work but that she was able to take some of the sparer almost trappier pc music songs and like make it a beyonce album but it's still recognizably like an ag cook production like yeah that's crazy to do like most people it don't is. have the the musical identity built in to actually do that it is interesting too that you can't really define like similar to similar to motomami and capra songs you, you can't really define what this record sounds like even though it's so rooted in dance because like almost song to song she's shifting in between subgenres of house music and mm-hmm. Uh, different like just different styles of dance music in general like uh 
dipping deep into just like R&B grooves that like have like, you know, very like tricky kind of like serpentine rhythms. Like, I don't know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's the kind of record where it's like, I feel like uh, there's no superlative I can put on it. <laughs> that's strong enough like because i'm just so impressed by the fact that like a major pop star took the time to do this um i think a lot about the dua lipa album when yeah. i listen to this because and so i didn't li- i didn't like the dua lipa album that much okay. i thought it was kind of like i think it's fine she's like she's a few good songs but like to me like there's just something like hearing people talk about like it's clubby it's dancey and then i hear it and i'm like this sounds like this sounds like shopping mall music like i don't know it's it's a fun album but i think her biggest issue is she is just devoid of charisma like yes yeah like whereas like someone like kylie minogue could have sold that album and made it like an and i do think for better or worse like future nostalgia is like a modern like pop classic in no of in course, so much yeah, as it, it is, is just like completely ubiquitous at this point but yeah. Like Kylie would make that like a masterclass and do a leap at like she has a nice like husky voice, but like just there's not a lot of like fun there. Um and it also wasn't the album she was originally supposed to make. Like it was supposed to be an album of uh good in bed and boys will be boys clones, and then right. late in the game they pivoted it to a disco thing. So her instincts right. are not great either. Her instincts are not great. It's like, it, it, like, and like, I think something you just pointed out there with having to pivot. I mean, like, it's not like it's not something she's passionate about. Like, no. you know, like I don't know, I don't know what she's passionate about, and like that's okay. But did you actually did you like the Kylie al- the latest Kylie album? Disco? Nah. I mean, there were yeah. some. I'm a Kylie super fan, so like, I have a pretty high bar for her music. This definitely felt like a the last honestly the last three it felt like pretty legacy album ish to me um right. i mean still some good songs on each of them but like mm, yeah i don't know the lyrics just weren't great like i definitely listen to like the like like 98 to 2008 or 2011 like kylie era like a lot more right, right. so there was um, something like that last kylie album or the most recent one there's something like kind of like it, it was weird. There's some good songs and there's some really bad songs, but like I think like they had this goofy energy to it. Yeah. Like this almost like very endearing silliness about like this is, you know, like her kind of disco that she does on that record was like something that you would watch on like, I don't know, like public access or something. Yeah. But like it, it's endearing and it's cute. And like it had more personality to me than the than the duo record did. But I was just kind of like these are the two things I have to choose between right now. Like, well, then there's Jesse Ware. Yeah, the, well, the Jesse Ware album is like a masterclass. Incredible. Yeah. Kylie's she, goofiness she, she, has always been one of her biggest selling points. Like that, like yeah. she is very playful and fun, which really suits dance music in general. And Beyonce on this album is playful and fun in a way that she has not been since self-titled. I think. Yeah. Which helps. Yeah. So self-titled, your favorite? Self-titled is my favorite, just because I think it blends. Like, R, the R&B, the indie stuff, dance music, it, it's just a very fun, powerful album. And, like, I think the impact yeah. of dropping it last minute with all the music videos, like, 
it is such like a titanic cultural reset <laughs> like sure i don't know i i just i do really like it but like renaissance is really challenging that for me because i was thinking i don't think there's a bad song on renaissance and i think there is a one slightly not good song on self-titled like pretty hurts so yeah <laughs> yeah that's, that's probably the that's probably the weakest Self-titled yeah. song. I I agree with everything you said. It, it really was like it's one of the few instances where cultural reset has a real like it really earns that title. Yeah. Um, uh, and it also just like like she was obviously putting out bangers well before self-titled, but like at that point it's like oh shit you're like you're like one of the greatest artists we have. This is yeah. Nuts. Like that was a real it was a real shifting point. Um. Yeah, and it's interesting that both records have like almost opposite promotional strategies. Like Beyonce drops in the middle of the night with uh, a, like a video for every song. This gets a month and a half lead time, uh, one single, no visuals, not yeah. even a tour announced. Like it's like, oh, okay. Like I don't and know, I think they're kind of like weird opposites in that way. I'm pretty sure we are getting a visual for at least one song because she was spotted in Brooklyn in like neon green bodysuits with like steady cam cameras. So like I think we're getting cool. something at least, but I think it's gonna be for Alien Superstar, not for which is a fantastic song too. Yeah, they're awesome. all they're all really good, but like I don't know. My favorite keeps shifting every day. But the one I keep going back to as like the thesis statement out of the album is Summer Renaissance. Mm, yeah. It's it's really crazy that like at the end of the album, she's just like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do the the I feel love thing. And like yeah. I feel like that's such like a it's really show-offy in, in like a positive way where it's like, uh I've already like I've done everything else on this album and have like pretty much like summarized a lot of different genres of dance music and interplayed them. And now I'm just gonna do like what's basically kind of like a dumb summer cover in a way. Yeah. Uh, and pulls it off. It works great. It, it's it, it's really it's really something. Behold, like and just the ugh, I I like the production on this album, top to bottom, is like unbelievably oh, good. But like the way she makes all those synths sound so like like it sounds like it's recorded in a cave. Like it's it's like a it's like a chrome plated cave. It's unbelievable. Like I just I can't get enough of that song. Like there's just something so addictive about it. It um, really has the whole record really had that dance floor like like when you're on it when you're in a club and like the bass is just hitting and you can just kind of feel like every single like part of the sound like going through your body like. Like the yeah. album definitely it re- it captures that more than like any pop record has in its deck. One hundred percent. That's like one of my favorite feelings. So it's like I went on Friday night to a gay bar here in Chicago to like a listening slash dance party. And from like nine nice. to ten fifteen, they just play the album front to back, no skips. One of the most borderline religious experiences I've had, like on a dance floor in a long time like i believe it and also i don't know how people are like off book on the lyrics after like 24 hours but the beehive is crazy, crazy. so did you did, did you download the leak 
I didn't. Um, my karmic return is not good enough for me to have listened to that beforehand, but I did. I was in possession of it and just couldn't. I want, I also want to wait. Like it's a weekend. I knew it was going to be like a weekend album. So like, I want to wait. I don't want to listen to it on like a Wednesday afternoon. Um, so the beehive around this has been, but just the coverage around this album has been really crazy in general because I mean, it's Beyonce, but like it's dominated the press cycle. And there's also been controversy between like the lyrical like the lyrical change that she made, which we don't really have to get into, but the the Khalees of it all was also a big inflection point this week in a way that made me upset as a fan of both Beyonce and Khalees. Like I did not want to see them fighting. But Beyonce wasn't. Yeah, but... I think both of those instances are really interesting because it's like, um, I mean, I think about the life of Pablo yeah. and how Kanye just constantly was changing that record um and making new additions to it and like I feel like he was very annoyingly maybe the first artist to realize the first major artist to realize like that you could do that with a Mm -hmm. streaming with streaming services now and like so like you know like I think I think in both instances Beyonce did the right thing and like she did them pretty like I think she took her time with the police thing a little more than the ableist word thing, but like that's that's not really my my call anyway. Like it's yeah. like she did it, and that's what matters. But like, um, I thought it was interesting that Monica Lewinsky was like made like I think the news media reported about it. So she was like, "Yeah, what about partition?" And like, I think the news media reported it like Monica Lewinsky demands her name be taken off partition or whatever. But it's like, it seemed like more like kind of like a half joke to me. Like I had kind of a tough read on that. Yeah, I, she's very online. So I kind of have a tough, yeah. yeah I like, I, I sometimes have a tough time where she's coming from with this. Um, I mean, I don't think Beyonce, I mean, it's not, I don't know. I don't think she needs to change partition, but like- no. No, she doesn't um, need to change partition. It's fine. It's fine. It's just, I, I don't think she needed to credit Milkshake on Energy in the first place, though. I thought that sample was, like, sample. Like, it was inaudible to me. And, like, I get that we're in an... Like, as someone who worked in music licensing for a long time, like, we are in an era where over-crediting is the norm because no one wants to get sued by producers. Sure. But, like... You would have, like, Beyonce in the Neptunes, I would have to imagine, like, have a somewhat close relationship, having, like, worked together on stuff, and, like, with Jay having worked on stuff with them, like, I don't think, like, they would have sued her for putting in laws that sounded somewhat similar to Milkshake, but I don't know. I don't think so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it like, uh, it's it's really like it's a really complicated uh thing regarding like whether the song was interpolated. I'm not like you know I as far as like my own like areas of cultural criticism criticism like there are people who understand like the that level of the biz like way better than I do. I would mm-hmm. say I have a I would say I have a bad understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if um, but um, I would say I will say a lot of people who write about music also have a bad understanding. Yeah. So like 
it's really interesting to me that like you know she had she had to remove this uh she had to remove this slur from the from the album and like it felt like the coverage was kind of like okay she did it that's good yeah well there there was precedent for it too because lizzo just had to do that um oh which i do want to talk i want to talk about that too um okay but like but it's so, interesting that like she didn't really like and that was a really tidy na- news narrative that moved on where it's like I feel like the Khalees thing keeps seeing like different people be like well did she sample it like like what, what is it interpolation what is it and like yeah. it just seems like very con- confusing uh, for everybody a very uh, and I mean when when blogs were trying to like track down what song was even being interpolated or sampled in the they didn't get right in the first place like I remember like most of the publications were like I don't remember what song it was but it wasn't until like midday on Friday that they were like oh it's actually milkshake whoops like so if no one even knows what Khalees song it is in the first place then like how like defined are we here you know I don't know I get that she's I I think I love Khalees and her meat. I think she's a true innovator. And those first like four Khalees albums are all actually five because Flushdown's great. All of them are great. But like, yeah, she's kind of misplacing the anger, I think. Cause like, if you think Beyonce is personally handling the like clearance, licensing, all that for her songs, like you're, it just, it's not realistic. <laughs> like, it's just sure. not realistic. Yeah, I mean, like, I think, like, I think we have an appetite as, like, consumers for, like, um, especially when it comes to, like, big-time celebrities and, like, what they're doing in the media. It's just, like, you know, I think it's easier to reduce it to a binary of, like, police speaks out against Beyonce. And in reality, it's, like, she's pissed and then she's pissed about something that happened and then Stan's driving nuts and then she says some stuff that people are, like, police strikes out against Beyonce. Like, that's, like, I don't know. It's it's always seems like more complicated to me than yeah. like how how we tend to define it. <laughs> so you wanted to touch on Lizzo briefly too. Yes. Like, what do you think? We just talked about the album on this most recent episode of the podcast with friend of the pod Julia Gray. Um, wh- what are your thoughts about all this right now? <laughs> I mean, I think it's I think it's fascinating because I read the I read the Guardian op-ed. Mm-hmm. Um, with Hannah Devine and if that's how you pronounce her last name, I'm not sure. And she, so like, I'm going to quote a part of it here. So she says, um, I found out by way of a snarky mention on Twitter asking if I plan to tell Queen Bee to do better like I had with Lizzo. My heart sank. Here we were again, but this time the stakes feel higher. Calling this one out is a whole other level. Yeah. And like, I thought that's a, I think, I thought that was really fascinating to read because like, um, Lizzo, like the criticism Lizzo space, like for that was pretty immediate, I felt. And it was like, it was almost like very, it was noticeable pretty quick online and she responded to it pretty quickly. Yeah. And it was over. And like, when I listened to, to Renaissance on Friday, this album that like was being poured over by every single person that works in music, right? I was like, huh. I hear I hear the word in here that Lizzo was like made to change like how long is it going to take for like somebody to notice this too and like not, I'm not even like making a judgment call on like whether or not it should have been removed rather or whatever like I'm just saying like it's interesting to me that like I think I think Lizzo people expect something really specific from her at this yeah point. and like 
like like the idea of like okay like calling out Beyonce is like a whole other level like it was it's like this whole situation to me and how they both heard each other and like the kind of like amount of noise to like response time around it uh just really establishes like that there is kind of like a power hierarchy in terms of like pop stars it's like yeah it's pretty serious and like i don't know it's like it's 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 very it's very fascinating uh to witness with lizzo especially because it's like you know i like i think because of lizzo's branding it's almost like Lizzo has to do this versus yeah. like I hope Beyonce does this, which not like I don't know. I th- I feel like it, I feel like this whole thing, the fact that both of them did this like reveals maybe some like uncomfortable truths about like what people actually expect from others and like what yes. they're willing to tolerate. <laughs> no, one hundred percent. Like there was there was response to Beyonce about it too, but it definitely felt like. Like Lizzo articulates herself so much as this force for positivity and self-acceptance and like treating yeah. people how they want to be treated. And this was an honest mistake that she made um, and yeah. one that she was going to quickly rectify. And I thought, and I said this on the last episode, but like her apology for it was probably the best celebrity apology I've ever read. Like per- yeah, like sure. very like acknowledged the problem and was extremely accountable for it. Um, whereas Beyonce did not have to make a statement. Beyonce just removed the track. And I feel like if she, yeah, if she hadn't, like, I, people would have complained, but like, uh, not not in a huge, serious way. I don't think it would have, like, I think, like, I don't think it would have had any, she could have gotten away with not doing it. Now, thank you for waiting. She's also, I mean, she's been on, in this kind of untouchable realm from a criticism standpoint, it seems like for, 10 plus years now because I think back to the Carrie Hilson incident from like 2010 Mm. 2011 where she like shit talked Beyonce in some interview and then the beehive like pre-4 beehive not as powerful as as it is now essentially tanked her career like her solo career like and you can't really think about like Carrie Hilson these days without that like clip of her being like happy Beyonce or happy birthday Beyonce and then like frowning <laughs> because she had right. to say it like it's uh, you know like it, and that was I, 10, 10 to 12 years ago at this point like yeah. and now it's just it's just she is this like cultural behemoth like th- this like deity and she's played in she's played into this so much too like between like all this like celestial imagery and like she doesn't do interviews I, I don't know. And that's, that kind of has annoyed me about her for a while. And that was sure. something that I thought like that exacerbated my like somewhat chilly response to the lemonade to now musical period. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's just, I'm ta- like, yeah. Oh no, go on. No, I was, I was talking with a friend who works at a pretty, like one, one of the bigger music publications and they were like a lot of, young people now who are coming into writing don't want to write about the big pop stars because they're afraid that whatever they write, the stands are going to come after them and ruin their mentions or DM yeah. them too much or like, uh, swap, or like swap their house or something if it's really severe. And it's like, it's, it is interesting to think about 
how like this is the first Beyonce album cycle I think where the this like standum is like such like a a major part of like being online. Like I feel like Lemonade stand standum was like a thing, but it wasn't. It maybe hadn't entered like the mainstream the way the way yeah. it is now where like it has material effects on like the way people live. Yeah. Um, so like, it's kind of interesting to like have a, Beyonce, like have a new Beyonce record in this, in this like time period. And like probably why, like, I don't know, as far as like rushing to cover the fact that she said enable a slur on a song, like I think there might be one or two music writers who are like, I'm gonna like not point this out, like see if I can just Wait get away with not talking yeah. about it online. Yeah, yeah, like I don't want to be the one to talk. Like no one wants to be the person to say something negative yeah. online and then and then have your address exposed online or something. <laughs> like it'd be bad. Right. Well, I hope the main takeaway for uh, the Beehive is that we were almost overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive about this album and her career in general. So please don't come after either of us. Um, okay, so Larry, we have to move on to our final segment. Um, we're going to play Tear the Community Apart. So the rules of this game are very simple. I have picked two songs and you're going to tell me which one is better. Okay. Easy. Okay, so the two songs I've picked today uh, both feature collaborators on the new Beyonce album. Both hit number one earlier this year in 2022 and are two of the biggest rap songs of the year so far. Which song is better? Wait for You by Future featuring Drake and Thames or Jimmy Cooks by Drake featuring 21 Savage? Ah, man. It's uh, so hard because both, both are both are so mediocre for me. Yeah, I would say I would say maybe the future song has a slight edge, only because like the like that's future in his pocket, and like he's not like he's not doing the best work he's ever done. But like, if you listen to modern rap music, you know that like mediocre future music is still like cool to like listen to in the background yeah. um whereas that, that Drake song feels like a really weird like aberration on an album that has nothing to do with that kind of sound so I choose the yeah. future song I think I'm with you yeah I think I'm definitely with you um Jimmy Cook yeah aberration is a perfect word to use there because it really does feel like a concession to fans that he knows are not going to like honestly never mind the rest of it yeah yep 100 what did you think about honestly never mind because it, i think it really suffers a comparison of the beyonce album oh yeah like, yeah blow, beyonce record blows it out of the water um yeah i'm not like i like i like it it's it's not something i've returned to um yet but i do think it's his, it's probably his best record in like five years yeah i think it's his best record since more life yeah like, i'm 100 percent. that's not saying much he's put out a lot of bad music in the last couple of years so yes more life is really good though and i think has gotten buried by how mediocre everything else has been save for like a few songs off of scorpion but like for yeah. the most part yeah. like 
but and the songs on Scorpion that work well are like the experiments with dance music, like the New Orleans bounce stuff. That, like Beyonce's mm-hmm. doing really well on this album. Um, yeah. I, I yeah, on it's it's very rote house music, but like some, the production's pretty good on it. And like I heard Massive and Sticky when I was out the other night, and both of those like go off. Like they're they he's. Work. Yeah, he's he's a good singles artist, and it sucks that he buries yeah. these singles in these like eighteen song lumbering projects <laughs> that like you really have to like sc- like dig through the mud to even find the gems. Like, yep, no, that's real. Yeah, um, future has yeah this future song. I didn't listen to this album. I'll be honest, but like the single's good. Like oh, mostly because of that that same sample. I like I like Thames. Yeah, I like them too. Yeah. Okay, the better of two mediocre songs. A very fun game we played today. Um, Larry, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. Um, This was a tremendous episode. Um, Where can people find you on social media slash do you have anything you would like to plug at the end? Yeah, you can find me on social media at Fitzmorris on Twitter. Um, And... My, my newsletter is actually on letter drop. So if you go to Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, you can go straight to the link for my newsletter in there. And I am also, I have been donating all the revenue from my newsletter to the National Network of Abortion Funds. So uh, doing that for as long as possible and that's been going really good. So yeah, that's all, that's all I got to plug. Awesome. Um, also, I just... What is an underrated album from this year that you would recommend people listen to? I feel like this is a good prompt for you. Underrated album from this year, man. Uh, let me do. Let me do a really quick look at what. Let me like remind myself of what I've listened to this year. Um, yeah. I think that. I you know I almost feel like Capra songs is underrated. Yeah. I know that's ridiculous to say, but like I feel like people really, really like sad FKA twigs and like maybe haven't been like as enthusiastic about Capra songs because it's not really like she's not doing the sad FKA twigs thing. But like, am I wrong? Am I wrong in thinking that's underrated? No, like, you it, definitely are. Crazy? It also came out so early in the year, too, that um, I think it just like with time people have kind of moved on from it um but i yeah i I really like capra songs a lot i was not super into like i liked it but magdalene was not my favorite of hers um especially after lp1 and the melissa ep which is like the melissa ep is underrated like that's a stunning body of work that like and the visual album accompanying it is great um capra songs is great it's very fun um I think Tears in the Club is one of the best pop songs of the year so far, ah, too. Tears in the Club is yeah. so, good. And, so you, good. and you know what? I also have to shout out the Post Malone album. Oh, <laughs> I haven't even let... Really what's like. it called? 10 Carat Toothache? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really good. It's it's very... Uh, he's he's in his bag, as they say. The Doja Cat song is amazing. Yeah, that's. Um, I think that's the only one I heard. Um, that's very cute and fun. Like, it's... That song does, in Doja in general, like, I think she has done a very good job of actually tailoring, like, whatever the fuck hyper pop is yep. to a mainstream pop structure. Like, totally. 
between that song Very and like so. half of Planet Her, like it's um I don't remember what song. I, I actually I want to shout out an underrated song on Planet Her, not to pivot from Post Malone, but I do need no, to listen no, no. to that album. What is the song that I've been really listening to on that? Uh Payday featuring Young Thug. Oh, I love Payday. Payday's amazing. She, um, she, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like hyperpop. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And like, like I know she's actually milking singles from this album in like a very old school, like we're going to release six of these and like try yeah. to get into the top 20. She needs to do that one next because it's very good. Um, and then, okay, so you can follow me on Twitter at FKPigs with a Z on Instagram at Drew Haskins Zs and follow at Crisis Twink Pod on Twitter and Instagram for direct updates from the pod. Um, and with that, thanks everyone. Uh, we'll see you next week. Great. Bye. Is it summertime already? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, it seems like a great time to give a gay man some money. You may not know this, but Crisis Twink has a listener support option. If you go to the show notes and click the link, you may be presented with the opportunity to donate a small monthly fee to help support operating costs. It can be as little or as astronomical as you want, but any amount is appreciated. If I could give you a smooch, I would, but I can't. So enjoy these dulcet tones instead, uh, dulcet tones that many have described as akin to a very warm hug. So please donate if you'd like.